This morning, the readings from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 26 to 49. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus slows by casting lots. do not know what they're doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're looking uh, at the end from the beginning, looking at our series, moving through the end of Luke into Acts of the Apostles, and looking at the crucifixion again. We've looked at the betrayal of Jesus and this passage that we look at. We've looked at many things that led to this point and this passage that we look at now. 
Now, I don't know about you, my favourite comedian is Michael McIntyre. I absolutely love his delivery, I love his physicality and his observational humour. And just recently I was watching a clip of his where he talked about Where's Wally? Who knows what I'm talking about with Where's Wally, most of us? Okay. Uh, where you look at the picture and there are lots of lots and lots of figures but you have to find Wally in his stripy top and you have to look long enough to spot him. And he is a father of young children, like some here, and uh, he said that he loves to just give his two little kids the Where's Wally book and say, find Wally in this picture and in this picture and this. And so great device about why my wife and I go off to look for a life that we left behind. Um, and so great device, but he said he's even got into colouring in the stripes on Wally's T-shirt so that the process is uh, uh, fallible and uh, impossible, maybe, I don't know. Um, but actually, when we look at this passage today, we'll have different levels of recognition. Some of us, perhaps it's quite fresh, sometimes perhaps we've not heard it for a long time or even ever. But for many of us, we will know it from Easter, we just had Good Friday quite recently, and we'll kind of know the story. We know how it ends. <laughs> we know and we believe that it doesn't end here. And yet, here we have Jesus in Luke's account dying a death as a completely innocent man. In fact, as the son of God. And this was prophesied in the Old Testament over 340 times. It was prophesied that Jesus would die like this. It was even prophesied that he would die among criminals, that he would die the death of a criminal. And this is the moment, if you like, in throughout history where everything changes and it's prepared already. This is the end from the beginning. And I thought, in actually, in the passage as we read through, we'll see lots of different endings that actually become beginnings in other ways. The end for one thief and the beginning for another. The end of the barrier between us and God, our sin, the powers, and then the beginning of light and mercy. The end of the darkness that lasts for three hours and then the beginning of light and the end of our sin, our mess, the things that we get wrong and the beginning of our purity in Jesus' death. So lots of ends and lots of beginnings. But Luke's gospel, out of the three synoptic gospels, Luke really wants us to know just how innocent Jesus was and is. That's his emphasis. Each of the accounts have a slightly different one, and this, as we look at Luke, this is Luke. He wants us to know Jesus was totally innocent, and yet dies this death among two criminals. And when Jesus says this slightly surreal thing, he talks about green wood, he talks about dry wood and the green tree, and he says, if you do this, when the wood is green, what will you do when it's dry? And what he's referring to, if you were a revolutionary or you were thought to be a threat to Israel, to Jerusalem, you would die on dry wood. And he says, I'm green wood. And what he's saying there is that I came in peace. I didn't come as a revolutionary. I didn't come as this radical that way. I came for the revolution of love for radical love, radical peace. And he says, if you do this to the Prince of Peace when the wood is green, what will you do in dry wood? What will you do when the warlords come? What will you do when the revolutionaries come and attack the city? And they did, and we know that still happens today. He says, why would you do this? Puts women right to the center, pity on the land. And again, he talks about women. Luke always really, really puts women right to the center, as of course Jesus did. 
So we have it. We have this, why would you? And then Jesus walks to his death. He goes to his death, and Luke is the only one that actually includes the conversation between the two thieves. And they begin taking the rip out of Jesus. They begin taking the mick out of him, sending him up, you know, saying there's a sign there. They're, they're mocking him just as the crowd is. Everyone's joining in. And then there's this moment of revelation for one guy. One commentator says that actually maybe he looked up at the sign and thought, what if this really is? What if he really is the Messiah? What if he really is who he said he is all the way through? And he turns to him and he tries to stop the other guy mocking. What began with sarcasm, actually he says, hang on a minute, don't taunt this guy. And actually, there's a a really, really good um, quote from Max Licardo here that talks about these two thieves. says this, Convicted by the same system, condemned to the same death, surrounded by the same crowd, equally close to the same Jesus, beginning with the same sarcasm, but only one changed. One good choice for eternity offsets a thousand bad ones on the earth. Does that give you hope this morning? It does for me. Because actually when we decide to follow Jesus, when we decide that we accept him, that we accept the fact that he stood in the gap for us, that he took on all the sin that you and I have committed. And it may be that you think, well, which thief am I at the moment? Maybe you're the cynic on one side saying, you know, I believe this is it. When you die, you die. And that's it. But something happens in the heart of this thief that actually turns to cry in his dying breath. That's hope for all of us, isn't it? And for those we pray for. And I don't know about you, but we know, and we've said this before here, there is only one person, perhaps other than Jesus, that we absolutely know is in heaven. And who is it? It's a thief. Because Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. He's saying that this is not the end for you. This is the beginning of something way, way better. Way better. C.S. Lewis, who some of you know is my favourite, so I still follow him on Twitter. I thought he was dead, but uh, he's still got a Twitter following. Um, but C.S. Lewis, such an incredibly wise guy. I'd love to know what he ate for breakfast because just the, the wisdom that seems to pour out of his, uh, uh, his mouth. But actually, he was a cynic. He had a friend, a bit like the two thieves, and they used to drink Guinness together and beer in the Oxford pubs, and they would say, we want to disprove this Christianity. T.D. Weldon was his name. And he talks about the day that T.D. Weldon came to see him, and he said, I've looked into the defense of the Gospels. And he said, I think after all of our ramblings, there's truth in this God-dying thing. Isn't that interesting? The academic brains of our country, a brilliant man and his mate. And suddenly, on that conversation, C.S. Lewis went on to look again at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we have many, many things, I think, to thank him for, including some brilliant children's books. So two people, and you might have been raised as a Christian or you might not. In my household, we had a dad who believed and a mum who believed in everything. (laughs) He was always exploring, always looking at different faiths, whether it was the white eagle, the yogi philosophy, crystal, you name it. And my dad just quietly reading his Bible every night. So I know what it is to stand between those two paradoxes, to think, which way do I go? And growing up, I thought, mum's got it much more interesting. You know, I thought, that's the way I want to go. And I, I did for 19 years of my life. 
But actually, there comes a time for all of us, like those two thieves, when we say, are we against him or are we for him? Are we going to say, thank you for dying for me? And he says he, the thief will be with him in paradise. Interestingly, the word for paradise was actually a garden. It was a walled garden, a Persian word for a walled garden. And in this, a Persian king would want to bestow a particular honor uh, on one of his subjects, and he would say, walk in the garden with me. Walk in the garden with me. Jesus was promising the thief not just immortality, not just life after death, but closeness still. Walking with him in the garden, intimacy, friendship. It was way more, and the thief would have known that. Paradise was a very, very intimate friendship. And then we hear this cry. When a martyr died a death in this time, what would have happened? They would have hung on the cross, and what they would have done is they would have shouted, if they had breath left in them, an audible curse on their persecutors. That's what everyone gathered was expecting at this moment. They're waiting for the curse spoken over them as he dies. So what does Jesus do? As Andy told us a few weeks ago, ever the subversive. I love that about Jesus. He does the exact opposite. If you like, he he prays a blessing on you and I. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive us because they don't know what they're doing. We sometimes don't even know the ways that we offend God. And yet, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then as Jesus dies, in Luke's account, he makes it very clear, as all the accounts do, that suddenly the whole world goes dark. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in that crowd, put yourself there for a minute, if we're doing the Where's Wally thing, put yourself back in in the story. If I was there, maybe I joined in a bit with the crowd and said, yeah, yeah, crucify him or whatever. And then suddenly, as this guy who has said he's God dies, the whole earth goes dark. What would your response be? Mine would be total fear. We have got this wrong, wouldn't you? (laughs) If there was an eclipse of the sun at the moment the guy dies, you would think, we have got this so wrong. And it lasted for three hours. People were probably walking around (laughs) thinking it's the end of everything, weren't they? I would have been darkness covered the whole land. And if we look in Amos, one of the prophecies says, in that day declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. So he's fulfilling the prophecies. So if they knew their scriptures, and most of these leaders did, they would know it. At that moment, that what was prophesied happens and everything goes black for three hours, interestingly three hours, and we know that Jesus was dead for three days. And darkness in the Bible is judgment. That's what it's always akin to. So judgment came over all the land for three hours and then the light. And we know in three days we had the resurrection. And what happens next is quite remarkable. We talked about it before Easter. The curtain in the temple, the thing that only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, ripped in two as Jesus died. So not only is the place in darkness, but the curtain, which was 60 foot in old money, you can translate that, 60 foot by 40 foot, 
Now, I don't know if you know, I'm five foot, a towering five foot in my heels, so that's quite a lot more times than me. 60 foot high and 40 foot wide, and the whole thing ripped in two. So if we're looking at the, supermat- the natural signs that were around them, you think, how did they miss this? It ripped in two, and that meant that actually you and I could have access to the most intimate, holy of holies, that God would live in us, that he would walk with us, that that paradise would be ours. In Hebrews it says, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear because of the blood of Jesus. We enter a new and living way that Jesus opened up for us. It leads through the curtain, Christ's body. So this is audacious stuff. The writer of the Hebrews is actually saying when Jesus dies, when his body is ripped in two, so is the temple made access, that we actually have that access to the Holy of Holies, that we're no longer estranged, that we're no longer remote, that we have that access. And I wonder sometimes whether our faith really encompasses that inclusion, because it's for everyone. Jesus died for everyone and yet exclusion can and still happen. I was sharing at, uh, at Mosley last week that um, when I was quite newly qualified and working in, uh, in Salt Mine, uh, one of my first jobs as a director of that charity was to go and be a judge in a drama competition, the International Drama Student of the Year, it was called. So I felt very, very honoured. So I went and bought a suit from Next, and I'd never had a suit before. It was a trouser suit, and I had a little leather bag. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, this makes me look quite professional. And I turned up to this place, I won't name it, but I turned up there. I got my little briefing notes and I was waiting no one offered me a drink one woman said hello and then walked off and I was just left standing there still waiting still waiting and then I saw a sort of commotion going on over here and I looked across and people were whispering and looking at me and then whispering again uh, some men and some women and I thought how have I offended someone I've only just (laughs) arrived I mean I literally had just walked in and said hello I'm the drama judge and they would they were whispering and in the end one of the women came over And I said, is there a problem? Because I'd I'd quite like someone to go through the briefing notes with me before we start. And she said, yes, there is, I'm afraid. There is a problem. And I jokingly said, it's not me, is it? And she said, yes. Yes, it is. And I I felt absolutely awful. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. What what have I done wrong? And she said, it's just that you're wearing trousers. And actually, we can't let you be a a female judge wearing wearing trousers. Uh, You know, we're terribly sorry. Now, I was in Wales, so I'd come quite a long way from Dudley. And I thought, well, what do I do then? I was sitting there frantically thinking, have I got a sarong in my car that I could wrap around myself? <laughs> What's in the boot of the car? Which many of you know, there are many things in the boot of my car. So I was trying to think what, what might be available to me. And in the end, what they did is they got a drape and they put it over the tables so that we all looked the same. We had a black drape covering our legs, the male judges and me. And then at lunchtime, uh, because I couldn't go out, because obviously I would offend people, I had to have my lunch brought to me to eat at the table and one of the guys stayed with me because I think he felt a bit embarrassed about the whole thing until I finished my lunch. But on that day, I did my bit, I did my drama, judging the kids were great, all of that. But I got home and I sort of analysed how it made me feel. 
I felt like an outcast. I felt like I'd done something wrong. I felt like a failure. Um, all of those things. And I, I wrote to them and I said, I won't accept any fee for doing today because I, I wouldn't sit well with me. But what I would say is I would have so appreciated a welcome today and just a little bit of love and a little bit of grace. And I didn't really feel I received that, so I, I would like to not receive um, your money. Um, and uh, I'd like to say that we had a lovely sort of email exchange, but I never heard back <laughs> after that. But the reason for telling that story is church gets it wrong sometimes, and we as Christians get it wrong sometimes. And we get hung up like these Pharisees on all of the letter of the law rather than the heart of the law, because the heart, as Jesus dies. As we see again this story, the heart is inclusion, the heart is that you and I are made whole, and the heart is that the curtain is torn in two for every single one of us if we're truly sorry. And actually, for me, to, to, to really experience the inclusion of church, even to, to be on the leadership team here, is an immense privilege, an immense privilege. So as we come to communion, and as we come to the end of our, our study, um, Jesus, as he dies, says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What he's quoting here is a Jewish mother's prayer. It's what Jewish mothers would pray as their children fell asleep. They would pray, they commit them to the spirit of the Father as they fell asleep. So he's again using something radically different. He's praying a prayer saying, it's just as if I'm falling asleep in my Father's arms. You give me the most brutal death that anyone could die. And yet, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we hear, as we heard so powerfully on Good Friday, Surely this was a righteous man. Again, Luke bringing us back to the fact that Jesus is perfect, that he is God, that he was purity, righteousness in dying for each of us. I'd like to close um, with a poem uh, just to help us focus um, on the cross afresh for ourselves. Let's just be quiet and still as we do. So this was the cost, the price you had to pay for me, to be with me, to save me, to redeem me. You hung here for me, died here for me, you laid down here for me. As they laughed at you and said, who's hitting you? You laid down here for me. As they nailed you, impaled you, you laid here as nails cut you, pierced you, raped you. You laid here for me. You hung here for me as they mocked you. Jew, king, here's your crown, so come on down, be king. You hung here for me as your breath wouldn't come and the blood wouldn't stop and the nails or no nails, you are still God and you could have come down and made the pain stop and made the laughter stop, but you stayed for me. You died here for me as you said it is finished and now there is nothing left but the horror of this place and I want to turn away, to run away, to just forget without regret all the horror of this place, all the blood on your face and the pain of the nails and the hole in your side but I can't turn away because I need to be saved. And if this is what it takes for me to know you, to be with you, to find you, if this is what it takes for you to save me, then I cannot look away. 
The soul that cries out for you, dies for you, reaches for you. If this is what it takes, then all I can say is, crucify, 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 because I need to be saved and I cannot pay.